Pat Dively is a man who needs no introduction. From humble beginnings to becoming one of Ireland's most popular fitness coaches, he is also the number one best-selling author of Fit Mind. I was on stage picking up awards for entrepreneurial uh, endeavours, but really it was a little scared boy that was up on stage wanting people to love me. I was doing personal development seminars and teaching in front of hundreds of people, but really it was a man up there uh, or a boy in a man's body that was saying, I want you to love me, please like me, please laugh at my jokes. Pat now specializes in deep coaching men's work, somatic healing and breath work. He is also the host of the Pat Dively podcast. If I know my needs and I prioritize those needs on a daily basis, everything else seems to go a little bit easier. And if I don't know my needs, I'll tend to meet them in unhealthy ways. So oftentimes our addictions are because we're not meeting our needs in healthy ways. Pat Dively. Yo. Absolutely honored <laughs> to have you here on the podcast. Finally, we've been trying to make this happen for quite some time now. I've been following your journey for the last decade or so. It feels like I already know you yeah. without having met you before. And your journey continues. Mm. And I find that your own personal development now has merged into the type of work that you do with men mm. primarily today. And a massive part of the work I've I've noticed is the inner child healing. Mm. And again, something I'm very interested in because I've been I've been on that process myself. But from your own personal experience, how did you begin to heal your own inner child? What did that look like? Good to be here, firstly. I'm glad we're we're getting to do this. We've been in touch a while and yeah, I, I really appreciate the work you've been doing and and yeah, I honor the courage you've had like really stepping into the men's stuff over the last couple of years and just putting yourself out there in the way that you have so yeah yeah um yeah the inner child work um my hope i guess when i talk about stuff like inner child or shadow or some of the concepts they talk about emotional wellness um is that i can ground them in a way that maybe the skeptic or or the guy who's not been exposed to that kind of stuff uh, might feel that it could be beneficial um Sometimes in the spiritual communities, uh, this stuff can be up in the air and it doesn't feel very grounded for me. So I'll just preface by saying that, that I hope it, it can be shared in a way that, um, yeah, people might see some value in it. For me, it was, I was bullied quite a bit when I was young. And, and I feel like the, the early years of our lives leave a formative blueprint on how we see the world. Like those first couple of years really inform like how I see myself, how I see other people, how I see the world. So I would say... My initial stories were, you know, I'm not enough. People are scary. The world is overwhelming. That was kind of my map. And so as I went through my life for the next couple of decades, regardless of the external environment, that's what I saw. I'm not enough. People are scary. The world is overwhelming. Um, and from an outsider looking in, they might have seen me be successful. So, you know, my insecurities sparked a lot of drive within me. And so my 20s were kind of a relentless pursuit of success and, and what I had learned success was. And in my 20s, I, I, you know, I got into the fitness industry back in 2007, 2008, which as you know, fitness wasn't what it is now back then in Ireland. And everyone around me told me, you're never going to make a career from this. And so I defied the odds and I built a, a fitness business. I was one of the first, I'd say I probably was the first in Ireland to do online fitness at scale. I had hundreds of clients every month going through programs. I had a gym in Galway. I had brought out books about training and nutrition. I did all these things that I thought would make me happy. And effectively, I learned, I guess, in my late 20s that I'd been running from my wounds and running from my insecurities. And I thought that when I achieve all these other things, it's going to fix me. And so there was a perception there for me that I was broken. And, you know, I, I have come to believe that you can learn a certain amount from success. But, you know, uh, once you've achieved a certain level of success, that doesn't have to be anything grandiose. Like once you go a little bit above the, above the average income or once you get in shape, once you tick the boxes you thought would make you happy, there's kind of a law of diminishing returns. You're not going to learn that much more by putting millions more in the bank, but you will learn from failure. You will learn from your challenges. You will learn from your wounds. So at 28, when I ticked every box I thought would make me happy and I still wasn't happy and I felt more insecure than ever, it was the first time in my life where I had nothing I could point to and blame my problems for. I wasn't broke anymore. I had people around me. I had a great girlfriend. I had friends, family, house, car, everything. And I felt insecure. I felt anxious. I felt overwhelmed. I couldn't sleep, couldn't look people in the eye. I was completely lost. And then it was a case of, 
I think I've always been humble enough to say like, if my way is not working, I'm willing to look at the way other people are doing things and learn from them. And, you know, initially I failed with a business at 24. And so I said, my way is not working. I'm going to learn from the fitness guys in England that are doing well. And then at 28, okay, my way is not working. I'm going to look to people that seem to be happy and seem to be content and seem to be looking after themselves and study with psychologists and shamans and energy healers and every type of person. But I guess what I came to learn was that even though I was 28 at the time, I was being driven from my inner child, which was six or seven. Um, I was on stage picking up awards for entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, but really it was a little scared boy that was up on stage wanting people to love me. I was doing personal development seminars and teaching in front of hundreds of people, but really it was a man up there uh, or a boy in a man's body that was saying, I want you to love me. Please like me. Please laugh at my jokes. Please think I'm enough. Um, please validate me. Um, and so that's when it became obvious to me that I've looked everywhere else, but within, um, I've tried to fix this a million different ways. And so that's when the inner child stuff came to me. And it was just a case of like really being willing to go into the wounds and look at the wounds as you talk about a lot, you know, um, stop running from yourself, stop hiding from yourself, stop denying, uh, your experience and your truth. I guess as kids, we're often told, don't feel your feelings. Uh, you know, you tell your parents you're scared and they say, don't be silly. There's nothing to be scared about. And so you have this weird disconnection where you feel fear in your body, but your grown up superhero saying it's not real. And then you start to disconnect from your body and you start to deny your feelings. And when you deny your feelings, you deny yourself um, and you disconnect from your needs. And so, yeah, long and the short of it, I guess, is I came to inner child work late 20s from a place of necessity and exhaustion and burnout. And the work has been about becoming curious about the stories I tell myself, the way I see the world, where those stories came from, what that little boy needed that he didn't get. So the boy that was bullied didn't get approval, didn't get uh, validation, didn't get acceptance. It's my responsibility, I believe, as a man to give those things to myself now and not to continue to live like a boy who's scared of the world. Is there still some parts that linger? From this scared little boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, how does he show himself today or how does it, how is it exposed or how has it been exposed? Um, so I'll, I'll answer that directly. Um, but first, maybe just to give a bit of context is the way I see it is, is we have this mind body connection. So a lot of us live in our heads and we see the world through what's going on between our ears and we forget that what's happening in our body has an impact on how I see the world. So think about how you see the world after a yoga class. If you like yoga, it's probably relaxed, it's calm, everything's good. Then think about the world when you're hungover. And the world is the same, but you feel very different and, and it looks very different. So if I'm burned out or I'm overworked or I'm exhausted or I haven't looked after my own needs or I've kind of abandoned myself or I've prioritized um, other people above myself, that's when the little boy, it's almost like he's saying, wait a second here, Pat, you've forgotten me again. And that's when he starts acting up. And when he starts acting up, that's when I feel insecure. That's when I make stupid decisions. That's when I, so that's the link that I see. I would say when I feel stressed, when I feel anxious, when I feel overwhelmed and I don't tend to those feelings and instead I distract from those feelings, that's when um, he starts to act up. Um, probably also in relationship, like intimate relationships sometimes. Um, he'll, he'll people please and he'll overlook his own needs or I'll overlook my own needs and I'll say, oh, I just want to be accepted. I just want them to love me. So I won't ask for what I really want. I won't say what I really feel. So that's, they're the places I think intimate relationship and when I'm overworked or when I'm tired. And tired has it been exposed in recent times? Where, where has it challenged you at, at the greatest? Um, I think if I, if I track back and I look at my younger self, w the thing that I felt wasn't there that I wanted was to have someone tell me like, you're okay as you are and I accept you as you are and you can explore and it's safe to try different things. It's safe to be yourself. You don't have to go along with the crowd. That's what I needed and that I probably didn't have. And so that's the part that I need to reaffirm with myself all the time now is it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to live life in your own way. It's okay to, and the place where I get tripped up, I think is, uh, 
professionally over the last 10, 15 years, I've, I've kind of pursued things the way I've wanted to pursue it. You know, in terms of health, I, I train jujitsu like uh, five, six times a week. And, and, and that's one of the priorities in my life. So a lot of ways, my life, I, I, I live creatively. I live authentically. I live the way I want to live. I go against the grain in many ways. Um, but the area where I, I get pulled in is comparing myself relationally as to where I should be. So at that stage where friends and f- um, friends around me are all getting married and starting families, there's that bit of, you know, uh, vulnerability there of, oh crap, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. It's not okay to be the way I am kind of thing. And almost feeling like there's a spotlight on me that I'm the only person left in the world who is not in relationship. So sometimes when I'm in relationship, I can self-abandon. And that's happened recently where I overlooked my own needs and I put up with things that I shouldn't have put up with and, and didn't express what I needed to express. And when I left that, uh, and I had some reflection time. There was kind of a lot of sadness for me and kind of um, frustration and, and um, shame, I would say, around I've done all this work and now I've kind of abandoned myself. Um, yeah, I think it's the sadness around, um, again, if we think of a little boy that lives within us and he's been abandoned for a long time and then you come back and you start looking after him and you start to build this relationship and then you abandon again. I think that's ultimately what happened to me a while ago. And uh yeah, it affects the confidence and it kind of, I think it can be confronting to realize you've become disconnected from yourself in the ways that you have. So that was my experience was feeling disconnected from my needs, disconnected from my feelings, uh, feeling shame and anger around um, having not shown up for myself in the way that I wanted to show up for myself. So that's been a challenge recently. Have you been able to link back to your early relationships and identify moments where you did feel the abandonment or the insecurity in the past and how it's now playing up in your adulthood? Yeah, I think ultimately it was, you know, bullied from the very first day of school. And then we moved around a lot. So we lived in different houses uh, in Limerick first, and then we moved to Galway. And so there was a kind of belief that I'm always the new guy. And I think when there's pain around any experience, the pain for me was bullying. And, you know, the belief that came on as a result was I'm not okay as I am. And so based on the pain and the belief, I had a strategy unconsciously and that strategy was to self-abandon and to be what I thought I needed to be. So that's taken different forms. Sometimes I believe that being an achiever would keep me safe. Other times I believe that being a people pleaser would keep me safe. Other times I would believe. So I would say it tracks back to then. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think for us to truly be ourselves in the world and to heal and to grow and to develop, uh, we have to have people around us that mirror back to us that it's safe to be ourselves. So, you know, maybe a silly example, but, you know, if I'm a little boy and I get out in the um, schoolyard and I dance and all the boys make fun of me, effectively I'm getting the mirroring from the people around me that it's not safe to dance. That's not, that's not what boys do. And so I hide that part of myself for decades and it's never maybe allowed out again. Now, the reverse of that would be, you know, you dance on the playground and you're celebrated by the people around you. Wow, that's so cool or whatever it might be. So... You know, I think there's so much healing to happen uh, in how we're seen by others and also so much wounding that can happen. So the inner child work that I've been trying to do over the last couple of years is going into places where I can start to slowly bring these parts out that I've hidden away, like my true self, my joy, my laughter, my creativity, my my enthusiasm, my excitement, um, and not feel silly. And my anger and my, you know, all these things that I've pushed away. What was the, the thing you, that you locked away the most or that you almost put in a safe to never express again that you've now begun to let out? Anger has been one I've worked on over the last couple of years. So like, you know, and I continue to work on like standing up for myself and knowing what's okay with me and what's not okay with me, having boundaries. Um, and I still become disconnected from that. Probably the biggest piece to work on is the fear of being too much. Like sometimes people talk about not enough, but like I have this fear of being too much. So I, f- I find all these subtle ways that I keep myself small. You know, I, I, I struggle to take a compliment. People say, oh, your work is impacting me. I'm like, oh, cool. That's good to hear. Thank you. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, oh, well, I've got great teachers or I'll, I'll minimize it in some way. Um, so I think there's been a fear of uh, standing out. It's, it's funny, I have a memory of um, when I was young, I, I, there was an art competition in school. I don't know, five or six or something. I was young. And uh, I won the art competition. And so the local newspaper came in and took my photo. And I remember getting pulled over to the side and all the class are just staring at me, getting my photo taken by the, the, um, by the newspaper. And because I'd been bullied up to that point, 
I didn't see that as, oh, this is this amazing moment where I'm being acknowledged. I was like, oh God, I've, I've, I've achieved something here. And now I'm a target because everyone's looking at me from the outside looking in. So that's how I think those early childhood experiences can start to shape us. So I think the piece I need to work on, continue to work on. And uh, I think it's a point just to share that like, it's nice to think our, our mind want to put things, our mind wants to put things in neat boxes. I'm going to do my inner child healing and it's done. It's like, no, it's an ongoing relationship we're going to have for the rest of our lives. And like I work with guys in their seventies and eighties that talk about their inner child. And I'm like, wow, you know, it doesn't go away. Um, that's the piece I probably need to work on is just like, you know, owning that I, you know, uh, owning my space, like taking up space, not being afraid to take up space. You began to integrate the breath work as part of the inner child healing or is that separate to that? Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I would say it ties in for sure. Um the idea with the breath work is again, this mind body connection. There's obviously many different types of breath work, but what I do is conscious connected breath work. I remember 2015, I was at a festival in Costa Rica, like an entrepreneurial festival. This flamboyant Italian man came in at dinner. I was having a beer at dinner and he comes in and he says, we're going to the beach to breathe. And I was like, okay. And again, it was just an environment where like there was this, you know, the, the power of environment. It's just like this energy. Oh, okay. We're going to do this thing. So we all went to the beach and we breathed and, did this breathing technique and at the time I had such a busy mind I couldn't slow down I couldn't switch off and I remember as I opened my eyes I kind of assumed that everyone else would be still in the lotus position relaxed and, and in zen like in mode and uh, I opened my eyes and pretty much everyone had left like I'd been I just left I'd gone into a different place completely and I had no idea what happened and never saw the Italian man again for he ended up in Galway years later randomly but following year I went to Wim Hof and then I continued on with the studies. But the idea with the breath work is, you know, that they're looking at it more and more that our bodies store our memories. Um, we can do all this cognitive work, you know, myself and yourself can read books about how to be social and how to be engaged and how to feel connected and how to communicate well. And we can take on all that cognitive information, but our tissues store our issues and our body holds all of our memories. So if I have those memories of being bullied, being left out, being rejected, being ridiculed, my system has learned that it's not safe to be in social environments. And so I go in with all these strategies, but very quickly, my cognitive functioning just goes offline and my body goes into a survival state, fight, flight, freeze, get away from this. So the purpose of the breath work on one level is to heal and let go of some of the tension that we hold. We all hold armor in our bodies. Um, around emotions. So if there's sadness that I want to feel, sadness usually around my tummy. Um, when a boy is told boys don't cry, he's going to tense down. He's going to freeze up. So his body's going to stop moving. His breath is going to freeze. He's going to stop using his breath and his voice is going to stop. So three things, voice, movement and breath, those three things stop. And for me then, for healing to occur, there's got to be movement through the body. There's got to be a full open breath. So I'm breathing into those spaces and unlocking that tension and finding my voice again. Um, so that's where anger work, grief work, all this kind of work can come in. Um, so the breath work for me has helped me to unlock memories that I had kind of forgotten. Because, uh, you, you know, you, I, I'm a big fan of journaling, but to some degree journaling is kind of working with what I already know, unless I work with stream of consciousness. But the breath work just brings it. Like I remember maybe seven years ago, um, I was in a relationship with a girl for a couple of years. We lived together. And uh, when we split up, she moved out and she put a key through the letterbox and it said, I hope you find your happiness. And she put a key to the house through the, through the um, letterbox. And I just pushed it to the side and I got busy and I went to work. Like I didn't have time to feel anything, even though it was, uh, you know, and I got it mirrored. I went to some people close to me and the, the reflection I got back was, well, you're not the first person to go through a breakup. It's going to be fine. So there was no one kind of saying, well, you, maybe you should feel like what's going on. So I stayed busy, kept going, kept going. Five years later, I was doing a breath work and I'm breathing and I'm breathing and I'm breathing and clear as day, the image of the letter coming through the door box with the, I hope you find your happiness comes through. And I just cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And what I realized was like, there was a part of me that had never processed that. So I'm going back out into the world, carrying all this sadness that I haven't processed. And it's kind of like, how are you going to welcome something new if you haven't grieved for something that's been left behind? So this is like the importance of crying for you know, having space to cry, having space to express, having space to let go. Um, so that's where the breath work I think can be really nice is, um, you know, if you think about a time where you were scared or overwhelmed or stressed or anxious or, 
in pain or you experience trauma, like trauma is an experience that's too much to digest in the moment. So it's what's left in the body as a result. So I think of it as um, uh, something overwhelming happens. My body responds by giving a big surge of energy. And for the body to come back into balance, that energy needs to be expressed. So I need to fight or I need to flight. I need to use the energy in some way. But if the energy surges and I don't use the energy, it just kind of sits in the system. And so cognitively, my mind says, well, I want to go out and I want to find a healthy relationship. What sat in my system is a sadness around the fact that I feel I've been rejected or abandoned or whatever it might be. So that's where the breath work comes in and can help us to integrate the two experiences. So I feel safe in my body and safe in the world. Do you think the breath work is absolutely necessary to to heal or can it be done through moments of quiet and stillness? It's an interesting um, question. I think a body-based approach is important. Um, as in, when it comes to mental health, there's three approaches. There's medication is the first, which I don't talk about because I have no understanding. Um, there's Then there's a top-down approach, which is Western psychology. So my mind impacts my body. And then the third approach is bo uh, bottom-up. So my body impacts my mind. And so again, the idea is if I drink 10 cups of coffee, my body's going to feel anxious and stressed. And so it's going to impact the way I see the world. Uh, the reverse is true. If I've got thoughts of not being enough, it's going to impact how I feel in my body. It's going to create tension. And so journaling, coaching, reflective work, um, solitude, uh, headspace, all these things are working from a cognitive standpoint. Um, and then I think you need a, a body-based approach, which could be breath work. It could be trauma release exercises. It could be psychedelic work where oftentimes, or, or plant medicine work where oftentimes the, the body just lets go by itself feel the tremoring or the shaking or the vocal expression or there's many different ways the yawning the purging um bioenergetics is another you, you might have seen elliot holtz promoting uh, bioenergetics over the years which is the idea that we armor around the emotion that we don't want to feel so when i don't want to feel the sadness i create tension around it to keep it there and if i can come into stress like yoga even you see people with the pigeon pose and yoga will fall apart it's because the, the hips carry so much uh, stress and, and anxiety and shame and so when we breathe into those spaces it's like they unlock and suddenly emotion comes to the surface so um space and silence and solitude i think it's an important part of healing by i think i think the body-based approach is also needed mm. because we're in such a hyper-stimulated world way we can think about it is like an animal in the wild. An animal will spend most of its time in a relaxed state and temporarily it'll go into a um, stress state to stay safe, but it uses the energy. So zebra is relaxed in the environment, threat comes in, it gets fight or flight, it uses the fight or flight, then it goes back to relaxation versus human who gets up in the morning and stress, 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 stress a little bit of relaxation. So you can't relax through the mind I guess something like a body scan, you're using the mind to relax the body, but you've got to come into the body. Yeah, it's interesting. That's the reason why I asked the question, because I haven't actually delved into the breath work, although I've been on a healing process for over a decade now, as you mentioned, from the top down, mostly from psychology, from therapists, counseling. And the reason I asked that is because I don't, feel the same tension in my body as I would have done a couple of years ago where mm. I held a lot of trauma from mostly from what well, part of it from a car accident I was involved in when I was 18 mm. where I was responsible for the death of a lady mm. but then diving deeper into that into abandonment as a child and bullying and all these experiences I had in my earlier life and mm. I've gone through the process of talking about that but I feel through the talking I've been able to link the emotion mm. to the thought or to the words and I've allowed myself to sit and feel it Yeah, and by sitting and feeling it mm. it's somewhat dissolved or I've somewhat let it go so as I sit here right now I'm thinking do I need the breath work mm. yeah um, sorry yeah it's not the answer yeah it's the answer <laughs> um what, what comes up for me in that is that, um, you know, when you shared what you were feeling and you shared your thoughts and your beliefs and your, you, when you shared from a cognitive standpoint in those environments, you will have been met by someone who welcomed and accepted those parts, those parts of you that were scary to reveal or to show. And if you had shared them with a friend who took the piss out of you, 
that would have created that tension again in your body. So there is, a, I think, a relaxation and an ease that comes when we share who we truly are and someone meets us in that. So, you can, yeah, you can probably do a lot of this, like relaxing the body through, through other means. Um, I find the breath work useful for people who are stuck, maybe, maybe a little bit stuck, like finding it hard to talk um, about their experience or, um, or just stuck in unhealthy patterns and struggling to kind of comprehend, like, what is it? Um, you know, certain things like for me with the bullying, I can kind of pinpoint, okay, this happened. And then as a result, I sort of came up with these identities and it's kind of cognitive. But then there's other things in the background, like once a breathwork showed me how competitive I had been all my life and how that had impacted how I saw other men. I saw other men all as competition and threats to me, uh, which led me to push another way, other men away. And then there was feeling lonely. And so um, it's in, for me, it's interesting just to just to play with um, different modalities and see what resonates and see what doesn't. But um yeah, it sounds like you're you're well on your way. I mean, if you mm. get in that ease, a, mu a mushroom retreat as well a few months ago <laughs> definitely helped that process. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. that definitely showed me a lot more things. Yeah, and mm. something I'm going to be doing again in uh, a couple of months. Yeah, so the uh, the psychedelics um, just open up a whole new realm, mm. and that's something you've experienced yourself. Yeah, um, I yeah I've done a wachuma, which is a San Pedro, a cactus. Um, I've done six, seven, eight times and ayahuasca and mushrooms and I haven't done Indano in a while. Um, I just haven't felt the call or that there's been enough uh, lessons in it. You know, they'll often say that if you go and do one of these experiences, you'll get some very clear lessons. And then, it, then the real work is to go and integrate that for the next six to 12 months or maybe longer. And sometimes if you go back, having not integrated the previous experience, it'll just give you the same lessons again, but in a rougher way. Um, but they've definitely been very beneficial for me. I would say they were actually one of the key things that helped me shift a bit more from the head to the body. Um, and the big piece with the body really for me is, is around like, you can't outthink depression and you can't outthink anxiety because your body is experiencing depression, your body is experiencing anxiety. So trying to think past those things is, is near impossible. So I think my first couple of times doing plant medicine, I wept and I wept and I wept and I cried like I'd never, I didn't think humans could cry. Um, and yeah, just unlocked it got me out of my head basically um and the other interesting thing in those experiences is because you're in a group typically you're being mirrored by other like there's other people in the i remember hearing a man scream and i'd never heard sounds like it come out of anyone and i remember thinking at the time i can't access that there's, there's no way i have that in me and then maybe two years later it came out of me <laughs> i don't think i would have if i hadn't seen it in someone else so yeah again they've been an ally for me for sure the plant medicines and I don't have any call to it at the moment, but it's, I'm grateful for what I've learned from them. What do you do now when you go through a, a difficulty, like a, a breakup? Is there a certain strategy that you've got in place in terms of, okay, this has hit me pretty hard. So I'm going to resort to this tool or this strategy in order to move beyond or to take the lessons from it and mm -hmm. feel empowered instead of disempowered. Is there a process there for you? So there's, a, there's a couple of things I think. Um, the first is, I, I say this frequently, the, the bigger the level of challenge you're experiencing in life, the more support you need. Um, so if it feels like a big challenge, you need more support and you can't do it on your own. So for me, it's having places and people I can speak to and share what's going on for me. Um, you know, a lot of male health challenges or mental health challenges come from shame, like the idea that it's not safe to share who I am. And, and so there's something wrong with me. And the more I feel there's something wrong with me, the more I isolate, and the more I isolate, the more I feel there's something wrong with me and it just becomes a downward spiral. So I think getting out there and speaking to people has been important for me. Um, something I'm really on at the moment, I sometimes get on the topic and it's like all I can think about, but is, is, is knowing our needs and, and honoring our needs. So I say that we all have fundamental needs, um, need for shelter, need for food, need for security to a certain degree. But then as individuals, we have needs, like you have different needs to me. Some of them will cross over, but for me, I need jujitsu in my life. I need creative outlets. I need work that I'm passionate about. I need social connection where I'm actually getting to share who I really am. Um, I need adventure and travel. So those are some of my needs. And so after a breakup or a challenging time, or a time where I feel disconnected from myself or stuck in comparison or looking outward and figuring out, am I doing life right? I try to come back to that. Like, what are my fundamental needs? Am I meeting those needs? And if not, how can I start meeting those needs more consistently? And again, if we come back to that inner child character, it's like when a baby cries, you recognize they need something and you support them in fulfilling that need. Um, 
And it's that thing that if you don't prioritize the things that matter in your life, your life's just going to fill with other stuff because you create this vacuum and life's busy. So you'll become a part of someone else's plan. Um, so those are my fundamentals. Um, get out there and speak to people. Come back to my fundamental human needs. And I suppose the third one is to allow space for emotional expression in the sense of, it, I, I feel like it's a fine line. If, if any of us were to sit down and cry for the hard things that have happened in our lives, we could probably sit for the rest of our lives and cry. Uh, so that's getting lost in the emotion. Um, so that's one approach is you get lost in it. The other approach is you pretend it's not there and you just, you know, uh, disconnect completely and you numb yourself and you go to addictions and whatever else. I think the healthy middle ground is you say, I'm going to allow a little bit of space for this whether it's on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, whatever it is for you. So I'd be taking 15 minutes. Maybe that's my breathwork practice, 15 minutes in the day where I close my eyes. I think about the thing I'm struggling with. I feel what's happening in my body as I think about that. Because again, it's not just a thought. Like when I think about betrayal or I think about hurt or I think about abandonment or I think about the wound that I've experienced, I might notice this tension in my chest. Okay, this tightness in my stomach. There's a heaviness in my throat, my face is feeling flush and I just breathe into those sensations and I get curious about them and I try to stay out of the story because I'll get lost in the story and the, the pain is there like I, I feel pain in my chest I feel hurt I feel betrayed I feel sad I feel abandoned I feel all these things if I start building stories around that I just go to loops and I go to anger I go to victim I go to villain I go to hero I go to like all these uh, and I I always say to people like your, your emotions are happening in your body and it's your body asking for some attention. So where this tension requires attention and the way you give yourself attention is by breathing into those spaces as opposed to running away from them. But a lot of us experience a feeling or an emotion. We give it a name. So we say, I feel sad. And then we go straight to our heads and we try to figure out why we're sad. So we've left the place where the feelings have been experienced, which is in the body. So can I take 10, 15, 20, five, whatever, a couple of minutes to just breathe? and to notice sensations. And I go to my head, okay, okay, I'm gone to my head, can I come back down into my body? And it's amazing what can happen. Sometimes tears come, sometimes laughter comes, sometimes, but generally, if you stay with it, something shifts. They'll say that, um, I think typically an emotion will last 90 seconds or something like this, 30 to 90 seconds, if you stay with it. And you see that with children, they'll cry and they get it all out and they don't have any story around it. And then they're in laughter and you, I find that interesting actually at plant medicine ceremonies sometimes people are crying and then you're not sure if they're laughing or they're crying like it's like when there's full expression of an emotion you almost don't know what's been expressed but as adults of course once we start getting caught in story that's the difference between pain and suffering pain is we're all going to experience pain suffering is i'm going to dramatize my pain um, and build a lot of story around it get caught in the story and ignore my body yeah it's interesting it's like you're tapping into the inner child again allowing the child to express his sadness or grief or anger yeah, and you know, a key aspect of, I would imagine, I'm not a parent, but a key aspect of healthy parent, parenting is allowing boundaries. And so you're creating a boundary around this emotional expression. You're saying for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to allow myself feel whatever I need to feel. And then I'm going to get up off my yoga cushion or whatever it is, and I'm going to go back to work. Um, so it's like a parent saying, you, you can stay up till nine o'clock, but you got to go to bed then. So it's allowing spaces for ourself. Um, and that could tie in also with maybe parts of ourselves that we struggle with. So, you know, you work, I know you, you work with men sometimes around porn and different addictions and, and stuff like that. You could have a man like identify, like, what is it that you're playing out when you're looking at porn? Like some guys that will watch violent porn, it's pointing to a part of them that hates women. So they're projecting their hate onto a screen. Or for some men who watch dominant porn, it's pointing maybe to them feeling disempowered in female relationship and so they watch men dominating other women on screen and it gives them back a sense of power um so starting to understand kind of our, our shadowy parts these parts that are playing out and then giving them a conscious space so creating a container creating boundaries saying for the next 20 minutes i'm going to allow myself to express this without doing it in an unhealthy or disempowering way so yeah yeah it's interesting that's i can definitely relate to the porn situation because it's been a has been a massive struggle in my life for a long time mm -hmm. something i've worked on over the years and it's something i actually spoke about before that i feel a big reason men watch porn is not an expression of love or fear but more an expression of their anger towards women mm -hmm. and it's very thrilling for them it's very arousing for them to see a woman being taken control off mm -hmm. on a porn site mm -hmm. And I've identified that and a lot of men I've, I've worked with and then going back to the relationship that they have with their mother and 
her being very empowering, them being very disempowered. And I feel a lot of men have put women on pedestals and the woman is the woman or the woman has been all but superior and they're inferior and this sort of plays out in relationships and a huge disconnect there. But I think as well, men are reluctant to go there because again, the shame they may feel in terms of, oh, that makes me look like a bad person. That makes mm. me look like a an evil person or, you know, a, a pervert or mm. whatever we want to call it. Mm. And that actually restricts them from the healing process, the, the shame attached to it. And however, there is, um, there's something in that in terms of allowing yourself to feel as if you were back in your home place at the, in your childhood, what the all empowering mother or you feeling disempowered mm. and going back and talking to that child and giving him, giving him what he needed mm. instead of what he had back then mm. and talking to him from a place of love and not fear or hatred. Mm. And there, again, it's all feedback, but within all that, there is this nice guy persona that that presents itself over the years mm. because, and then again, uh, coming from a background of bullying, mm. well, people don't like me for who I truly am. So I've got to create somebody that people will like and accept, which becomes this nice guy. You shut down your true self. You create this new persona, create new stories about yourself. It's a, it's a false identity. Mm. Have you experienced that or what's been your, your process in terms of eliminating the nice guy in your life or at least um, addressing that part of yourself? I 100% yeah, I've experienced that. And again, as you say, it's kind of this, I, I take on the message that it's not safe to be me. And so, um, well, yeah, I think it's two things is that as I think about it now, it's kind of like if I'm told it's not safe to be me and I'm told it's not safe to feel my feelings, I disconnect from my body. And I disconnect from what's happening here, which is my feedback mechanism as to how I feel. And I put my feelings out there. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to put all my focus outward. And so now my attention has left my own body and it's all based on what's going on around me. And it's kind of like, how do I manipulate every scenario in my life so that I feel safe, so that I can ease the anxiety that's going on within me because I've been told, now oh, your feelings aren't real. Boys don't cry. Don't be scared. There's nothing to be scared about. All these kind of things as opposed to, Oh, it makes sense. You're scared. I, I get it. You're going to be okay, but I understand why you, it's a very different experience for a child. So for me, yeah, it was kind of be a chameleon, um, overlook your needs, um, don't say things. It's kind of even, even more recent, like I remember a couple of years ago, I did a three day water fast. I don't know why I just like wanted to, I just wanted to do it like 72 hour fast and I posted on Twitter or something. And so some people jumped on it and they're like, you're supposed to be a health advocate. And they started tagging all the corporate clients that I work with and stuff and saying, you know, he's promoting this and it's da, da, da. And I remember part of me said, oh, I don't want to be dealing with the hassle of this. So I just took down the post. And then for a couple of days after, I just felt like, I was like, oh, what am I, like, that's, that's the same behavior now again. That's like, so it's, it's, you know, it's good at least to catch it, I guess. But there's like it makes sense on some level that none of us want to be hated none of us want to be judged none of us want to be criticized none of us want to be ridiculed i don't think um so in terms of tackling that for me it's more about it, uh, everything <laughs> everything for me at the moment is around this needs piece like if i know my needs and i prioritize those needs on a daily basis everything else seems to go a little bit easier and if i don't know my needs i'll tend to meet them in unhealthy ways so the need for validation, if I recognize that that's a part of me, maybe I can have a journaling practice where I validate myself and that's a healthy way of meeting that need. If I don't know that I have a need for validation, maybe I'm on dating apps, scrolling and hoping that someone's going to like me and that's how I'm meeting my... So oftentimes our addictions are because we're not meeting our needs in healthy ways. We're trying to find them in shadowy ways. Um, I think that's the fundamental. I think that's the first couple of months of dealing with the nice guys. Know your needs and work on your needs and prioritize your needs because you can't communicate those things unless you know what they are, unless you've done them for yourself. And a lot of us in like covert ways will try to get our partners or this is one thing I recognize in myself is I have a need for rest. And sometimes I work too much. And when I'm in relationship, I can't work all the time. I've got to like switch off for the weekend because I'm going to spend time with this person or I've got to switch off in the evening, whatever it is. So then there's a shadowy part of me that's almost using the person on some level because I don't give. So how could I work on that? Well, when I'm not in relationship, can I 
take rest time in the evenings and on the weekends. So it can be interesting, I think, as well. We talked about breakup recently or breakups earlier on. Um, one of the things with breakups is we can conflate the person with the needs that they met within us or the things that they met for us. So again, if I'm in a relationship and every weekend we're going hiking and we're having the crack and we're doing different things and then I, we break up and I'm just sitting in my house eating pizza every weekend, I might think it's all about them, but suddenly I've stopped being outside, I've stopped being on adventures, I've stopped doing all these things. So um, yeah, back to your question, I think yeah. Yeah, meeting, the, meeting the nice guys, um, knowing my needs, prioritizing those needs, and then as I get a bit of confidence around it, uh, being more willing to communicate those needs with other people. So if there's someone listening to the podcast here who doesn't know their needs, we all have our fundamental needs, as, as you mentioned, but those other needs, like you have your jiu-jitsu and your traveling and yeah. your creative work, yeah. how can they, how, they, how can they find? I mean, would values be another word for that? Or is, is that something separate? I think values ties in, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I think it's a good question. I, you know, I've been broaching this with a lot of people recently and this, it can bring up, it's confronting for people and it can bring up stuff. Like people are, I'm working with a lot of men at the moment and some of them are really challenged by it. Like I have no idea what my needs are. And that can be painful because when you say, you don't, I don't know what my needs are, it's kind of like, well, fuck, who am I? Like I've just become someone who works to make money for, for what? Like what am I trying to do here? So I think it is confronting. So definitely say like, be patient with yourself. The practical steps I would say is look back on your life and look at the times where you've been at your happiest, your most content, your most fulfilled. Most of us, I would suggest, have needs of growth and contribution, like on some level. Tony Robbins talks about that, that, you know, you can be the most successful guy in the world on paper, but if you're not growing in some way, you're going to feel stagnant. And if you're not contributing and giving back, you're going to feel isolated. So I'd say most of us have a need for growing in some way and, and giving back in some way. So maybe those are a place to start. Um, I'd also look at the times in your life where you've felt most fulfilled. So maybe when you're traveling, you feel fulfilled, so you have a need for adventure potentially. You might not be able to travel and maybe you've got family and kids now, but can you find pockets of adventure in your life? Um, yeah, that, look at your past. Uh, the, the values piece is useful as well. So the values, you know, the way I do the values on a simple level is look at the people you admire. What do you admire about those people? Write down those keywords. I like people who are authentic, who are creative, who are outgoing, who are resilient, who are consistent. Okay, how can I, in a practical way, practice each of these traits? Um, yeah, that would, be, that would be a starting point. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> Sorry, but one other way actually people could potentially look at their needs is look at the stupid stuff you're doing or the destructive things you're doing and ask yourself from a compassionate lens, what is the need I'm trying to meet here? So if you're watching porn, Rather than beat yourself up and say, I'm the worst person in the world for doing this and I hate myself and why do I keep doing this? You can ask the same question, why do I do this? But ask it from a compassionate place. So no, why the fuck do I keep doing it? It's like, I wonder why I keep going back to this thing that I know is not helping me. What need might it be meeting? Maybe it's a need for numbing pain that I'm experiencing. Maybe it's a need to feel some level of intimacy even with myself. Maybe it's a need to feel connected to myself. And this will point to your needs and then you can think, okay, there might be a healthier way of meeting these needs. I used to drink all the time because it quieted my mind. Not all the time, but I drink every weekend and get blackout drunk because of quiet in my mind. That was a need that I had it was for quietness and rest. It wasn't a good way of meeting the need, but it, it served its purpose to some degree. So look at your addictions, look at when you've been at your happiest and look at what you value in other people. Yeah, that's brilliant because it's, it just brings me back to conversations I used to have with my psychologist when I was struggling with the porn addiction. And he highlighted the fact that every time I told him that I had been watching porn, that I was criticize myself for it. And he said, well, instead of criticizing, ask questions as to why it's happened or why you're doing it. Yeah. And that brought a whole change of perspective in terms of the reasons why, and then it could begin to work on that, such as loneliness or numbing or mm. distraction or even quieting my mind or escaping some part of my reality that I, that I couldn't, yeah. couldn't face. Yeah. It's like, well, what am I not willing to feel? You know, that's kind of the question oftentimes. Mm -hmm. And when, it, when I project onto other people, like I'm trying to, uh, you know, if I, if I have judgments toward you and I start pointing the finger at you and Gavin's this and Gavin's that and Gavin's that the other, if I can check in and say, what am I not willing to feel in this? And maybe as I check in with myself, I'm scared, I'm fearful of Gavin because he's really successful and it intimidates me and I, I'm, I'm not willing to feel that fear. So I'll put it on him um, or I'll numb myself or I'll, so I think generally the, the question is like, what am I unwilling to fear, feel, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're being provoked by someone else, it's usually 
a pain within yourself that you've not yet addressed? Yeah, yeah. It's often fear. I think for men, it's often fear. Like this, well, triggers, I think you're usually shame or anger. I feel like anger, you've overstepped my boundary or shame, you know, I've, I feel, I feel not enough here. I feel small. Um, but yeah, it's good. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting. Check your judgments. Like, who do you judge? Where do you judge yourself? What's the feeling below that? Even that as a practice. It's a story I'm telling myself. How do I feel? The story I'm telling myself is he thinks he's better than me. The feeling is fear. And then what's the need? Okay. So I need reassurance. I need whatever it might be. Yeah. Break, break down the story. Yeah. And having gone through a lot of success in your in your years from the fitness to your book to your workshops, even now to the, the work you do, um, very much sought after personality in this country. <laughs> and yeah, again, from the outside, very successful. And how has your idea of success changed over the years with all that you've learned now? Mm. I often have to remind myself and bring myself back to, because my friend says life is a bit like a bike. You're, you're never in balance. You're always balancing, which I, I kind of like that as an idea. But um, when I look, I think we're all mirrors to each other. So when I see people that I deem to be successful, the people I'm looking at are people in their 70s and 80s who are still passionate about their work. They're surrounded by younger people that want to be in their energy. Um, they're having an impact. They're still growing. They're still contributing. They've playfulness about them. They've lived unconventional lives. They haven't been afraid to change roles multiple times throughout their life. So I guess that's what I'm looking at as success. And I feel I've done that to some degree in my young years from fitness to mental health, to emotional health, to relational health. Um, so that's what success is to me, is like to con continue to be enthusiastic about life and about my work, um, to be continually growing, uh, not from an ego standpoint of it needs to look a certain way, but of, from a place of curiosity, like what's exciting me at the moment. Like I'm willing to burn the ships and, and just walk away from things. Like my fitness my fitness business was going well and I was just kind of over it. So I just walked away and I, I'm not afraid to do that again in the morning if I wake up and don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. Um, so I think success is like honoring my true, what's true for me, um, not based on my history, not based on societal conditioning, but like, who do I want to be in the world? Um, so that success, success is also being willing to feel whatever's there so that I'm not running from myself. Um, and ultimately I think success is being at peace with myself. It's not always the case. <laughs> yeah. Are you at peace, peace with yourself at the moment? Yeah. 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 How do you begin to cultivate that level of peace? Cause it's a massive struggle for so many, so many people. Is this going back to the whole process of healing the inner child to the breath work, to asking questions around your feelings, to actually feeling, is this all bringing the peace into your life as such? I think it's an ongoing journey. And it's like, we'd start by talking about inner child. And I'm saying like inner child is not like a one and done. It's nice to think I can just do this work and it's done, but it's a part of you. Uh, at least I see it as a part of myself that there's a younger part of me many different parts of me. There's like a seven-year-old who's scared of the world. There's a 15-year-old who's angry at the world. There's a five-year-old who's excited about the world. So I have many different parts and we all do, I think. Um, and so I think it's important to be tending to those parts all the time. So in terms of being at peace, um, for me, again, it comes back to the needs thing. It's, it's, um, if I accept that all of my feelings are pointing me to my needs, so all of my feelings are pointing me to my needs. So if I feel angry, uh, I have a need for security or boundaries or a need for self-expression. If I feel sad, I have a need for letting go or a need for connection or a need for, if I can start to tie my feelings in in that way, then rather than waking up and feeling a difficult feeling and swimming in it all day and building stories in my head, I can just connect in. I can say, okay, there's a feeling here for me of anxiety. That anxiety feels like fear. And the fear that's coming up for me today is the fear that's, I'm going on a podcast and I might make a fool of myself. So when I feel this fear, what do I need? Okay, I need to be reassured. I need to be at ease. I need to feel a bit more comfortable. And then I start thinking, how can I fulfill upon that need? So I think that's part of the coming to, pe coming to peace with ourselves is recognizing we're evolving uh, uh, dynamic beings that are different from one day to the next. We're in environments that are changing all the time. So not expecting ourselves to always be in this even keel. But again, the balancing act of I still dip, like, I, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have a, 
mental health crisis and I'd be in bed for two weeks, you know, and, and now it's, I still have mental health crises, but it's, it might be in bed for a couple of hours, you know, so it's, it's just getting better. I think at catching yourself and, and looking after yourself and giving yourself what you need and not suffering as long as, you know, again, there's always going to be pain, but there doesn't have to be suffering. Um, but my peace in this moment comes from doing work that feels meaningful f for me, having conversations that feel um, authentic for me, both in my work and outside of my work, um, training jujitsu, creating um, things in the world. Like these are important parts of my life. And so because I'm looking after those parts, I think it gives me a sense of I can put my head on the pillow at night and feel like, okay, I'm using my energy and my time in a way that feels good. And although we, many of us know all this and there's a lot more exposure about it now, about healing and about um, overcoming trauma and depression, there's still a lot of it out there, especially in this country. And, you know, depression rates are quite high. Suicide rates are quite high. What do you think is the missing factor, like a fundamental factor there that we could potentially bring in to improve this situation? Aside from what we've spoken about so far in terms of breath work or inner child healing, some simpler fundamentals that could help these men out. Yeah, this is kind of difficult. I've, I have a mentor um, who said to me years ago that um, if you put an animal in the zoo, the animal gets sick, not because there's anything wrong with the animal, but because the animal's in an environment that is not, you know, I think animals even get depressed in, in when they're put in a zoo. You'll see them banging their heads off the walls and stuff, which they'd never do in their natural environment. So that's one side, which is kind of the doom and gloom side of it, of saying that we're all animals that have been put into environments that are not conducive to health. Um, we're wearing shoes, you know, that disconnect us from the earth. We're looking at screens for many hours a day. We're sitting down a lot. We're eating processed food. Like, And I said, we, I, you know, I'm definitely doing all those things myself more than I should be. Um, so that's, that's the first challenge, I think, is like environmentally. And so what can we be doing? I mean, from a school's perspective, I think I'm not sure what's happening in the schools at the moment, but if I were to go in and run a program in the schools, I'd be looking at teaching simple breathwork um, exercises, not like the breath I was talking about earlier, but just ways of calming things down. You can think about the breath as a remote control that when the breath gets faster, the system tends to be faster. Um, when the breath gets slower, things tend to calm down. So just teaching kids that, notice how you feel and slow things down. Uh, I'd also be teaching kids emotional awareness. So this idea of being able to name what you feel. I tell this story kind of half teasing, but a couple of years ago, I met a girl in America and we were spending a couple of weeks together in Brooklyn. And every day she'd ask me, how do you feel? And I'd say, I feel good. She'd be like, good is not a feeling. And I'd say, okay. I'd say, I feel fine. She'd be like, fine is not a feeling. And I'd say, I feel grand. She's like, grand is not a feeling. And I thought she was crazy. And that's what woke me up to the fact that if I don't know how I feel, it's very hard to look after myself. Because sometimes we think of self-care as I'm going to do a cold shower and I'm going to do some journaling and I'm going to do some healthy food and all that's all that is self-care. But self-care is also a dynamic thing that, you know, if I can check in with myself every day, I can have a better sense of what I actually need in the day. Because your head has a great plan, but maybe your training plan that's great on paper has left you feeling overtrained and it's having an effect on you. But if you can check in and say, how do I feel? I feel exhausted. What do I need? I need rest and recovery. Um, that can be a more dynamic. So I'd be teaching kids simple breathwork techniques, I'll be teaching people or teaching kids how to express through the body. So if you do feel anger, what can you do with that? Because the anger is not in your head, it's in your body. There's a lot of energy running through your body. So maybe teaching some shaking practices, some movement practices to move energy. I'll be teaching uh, feelings and needs, how to link those things together. And I'll be teaching how to communicate. Um, there's a form of com uh, communication called nonviolent communication, which is very simple but very effective. I don't know if you've come across Um Violent communication is where I need to win and I need you to lose in order for me to feel comfortable. So I'll often point the finger, I'll say, you always or you never, or you made me feel. So it's all on you. Nonviolent communication has four aspects. It's got observation. So I would name something I noticed without judgment. And then feeling, I'd name how it made me feel. I'd name need, so what I need, and then I'd make a request. So what it might look like is violent communication could be we organize to go for lunch together. You show up 20 minutes late and I go, you always show up late and you always do this to me and it's upset me. Uh, Nonviolent communication will be, I noticed that we were going to meet at three and it's half three now and I feel kind of sad and disappointed 
So I've gone from observation to feeling. It's my feeling. I feel sad and disappointed. Um, I need to know that when we make a plan that you're going to follow through and, and that I can rely on you. That feels important for me. So that's your need. So you're naming your need. And then the request is, would you be willing? So would you be willing in the future if you're going to be late just to text me and let me know that you're on your way just so I know? It's a completely different way of communicating. Um, and I think a lot of the world, we, we, we want to win because we feel, again, if you're in a wound up body, which a lot of us are because things are fast, my body is out there looking for threats. So I guess the last thing to teach the kids, which is most important, is to be grounded, like learn how to be grounded. And being grounded is not being stoic and being emotionless and disconnecting from your emotions. Being grounded is being able to feel without losing yourself in the feeling. Yeah. You're giving us a bit of an insight to your to your next uh, venture, <laughs> are you? <laughs> Pat Devley's coming to your skills, everyone. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Does, uh, did you know there's some good guys doing... Um, the Wolf Brothers. I don't know if you've come across Darren and Cormac. Yeah, yeah, I think they're doing good work in the schools and mm -hmm. I'm sure there's loads of good stuff. I hear people complain about the schools a lot of the time and I think there's a lot of good stuff happening now in the schools mm -hmm. so I'm a bit ignorant of it all. But yeah. yeah. You've um, you've also written a lot of uh, books over your time and <laughs> I've seen you on the bookshelves as I said over the last decade or two with, with um, different books that sort of encapsulate the different chapters you've been through in your life. Mm -hmm. A lot of the books in the past have been you know, fitness related or nutrition related, mm. then you've moved on to uh, fit mind and that's sort of tapping into the mind. Mm. If you were to write a book or start writing a book today, what would it be about and, and why? Uh, I'm certain one at the moment that's on shadow. Um, so it's, um, yeah, um, why shadow? Um, what I recognize is that you know, a lot of the pop psychology that's come down and the coaching stuff that's come over the last, I don't know, 20 years, 30, maybe more. I started reading this stuff when I was 13. My dad had some of those books on the shelf, Tony Robbins or Brian Tracy. He was never into it. I don't even know why they were in the house, but divine intervention. But um, we've taken a lot of the principles from psychology, from Carl Jung and from like the, the, the great thinkers. But the thing that hasn't really been taken down is is the shadow stuff. The shadow is the parts that we disown and we don't want to look at and we we deny and we reject and we abandon. So I've got a passion for that because I don't think the positive thinking thing serves us. Um, so I want to write a book that's very approachable and accessible for people to better understand their dark side. And dark side doesn't mean bad side. It just means it's dark because it's in the dark. It's not illuminated. The term enlightenment seems like this really fluffy term, like oh, I'm going to become enlightened. But what enlightenment truly is, is just shining light on the unconscious. So doing an exercise, you say, wait a second, that's why I get reactive when my partner criticizes me, because it reminds me of X and so now I'm a bit more enlightened. So I think that's the next chapter is, is a book about shadow. Brilliant. Looking forward to this. Have you, have you got a idea of launch date or... Um, I'm going to sit down and start writing in January and I'm hoping if it'll take about four months, I hope. How long do you take on your books? I'm curious. <laughs> about four years. <laughs> is, it, is it? No, it takes about six months there, thereabouts. Yeah. yeah. Depending on how much uh, time I spend on it yeah, and other things coming, coming in and distracting me or pulling me away from it, as you yeah. know. So yeah, about six months. Yeah. 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 So. What's your next one? Have you got a plan? I've got a next one coming up as well in 2024. Yeah, it's going to be delving into my own story a lot more in terms of my trauma in the past. A lot of the stories I created from these experiences and how these stories did not serve me for a long time in my life and how I began to change the stories. Mm. And also merging with that the idea of masculinity in today's world because that's a massive passion of mine. I think a lot of men have lost their identity. Mm. as a man, as, as as a masculine person in their life. And there's a lot of misinformation about that. And again, bringing in my own experiences about that. So the next book is, is really a, a deep dive and on, on my journey nice. and also merging in different ideas from different people to bring some resonance to the, to the reader so they can take it on board and apply the information and improve their, improve their life. It's again, it's, it's mostly going to be written with men in mind. Yeah. Cool. They need it. Nice. So, but uh, as for this conversation, thoroughly enjoyed it. Likewise. And as I said to you, Pat, I've been, I've been following your journey for over a decade now and I've, I've identified the process you've been on uh, personally and, and business as well. And it, it's great to see how you've been able to 
let one thing go in order to move on to something else and not holding on to something just for the sake of holding on to it or that it's driven by ego or driven by success. It's like, no, that's done. I'm not passionate about this anymore. I can let that go and move on to something that's a lot more fulfilling for me and help others on a, mm. on a deeper level. And it seems you've gone to that process of helping people with their bodies mm. to their mind and now even going deeper again with the, with the shadow work that mm. you're doing and the inner child. So very excited for what's to come and please uh, let us know where everyone here on this podcast can reach out to you and follow you and potentially work with you as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Pat, patdivoli.com is my my website and Instagram is patdivoli. And um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, again, just to acknowledge, like I, I think it's amazing all that you're all that you're doing and all that you, you've done over the last couple of years and and vulnerability and the courage and and everything you've shown i was blown away listening to some of your episodes so um it's good to be on the journey yeah coming from a man like yourself yeah so i really appreciate that thank you that's a, that's a compliment yeah <laughs> you, you can take it yeah oh yeah 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 i got it yeah <laughs> good <Cheers. man. laughs> Brilliant, Pat. thank you thank you